you know, this is our first summer as a church here in the Tri-Cities, and it has been a great one. Um, uh, we have been so blessed to, to spend this time together. Um, the service projects that you heard Justin and Christine talking about um, and those to come have been such a blessing. You see, we're a church with a couple simple focuses, a couple primary goals here in our church. Uh, first, we want to create a safe environment in which anyone can explore who Jesus is, um, that, um, that, that anyone from any walk of life can come and explore Jesus and learn a little bit more about him. Uh, Secondly, um, we want to allow our faith to be lived out in practical uh, and healthy ways that bless our community. And, uh, and, and so thanks to just the participation and, and the time and the fun that we've had, you know, it's fascinating the way when we serve and love in our community, when we live out the faith um, that, that we're here to explore and to profess, um, it's amazing the blessings that we find and the opportunity we find to grow just in our faith, in our love for people. Um, it's one thing to talk about loving, uh, but when we get to demonstrate it, when we, when we get to shake the hand of a person we would have otherwise not known when we get to uh, provide a coat for a kid that wouldn't otherwise had one. Isn't it cool to see how love becomes this overwhelming feeling inside of us as we get to participate in it. So thanks for that. It's been a great summer. We've really enjoyed it. Excited for the fall um, and uh, to get into some new rhythms as a church. And uh, and we'll be sharing more details on branches and things as they're rolling out here in the fall. The branches are small groups. So have you ever had that moment um, when a situation becomes just unbelievably real? Now, it might have been something that you've been planning for for months or even years, but often there comes that moment when it becomes unbelievably real. For instance, um, I remember uh, after, uh, after months and months of preparing for our first child to be born, we had the room ready, the house was ready, we'd purchased all the car seats, um, uh, our first daughter Alyssa was born. And uh, we spent a few days there in the hospital, and, and as we were released, I remember sitting down behind the wheel of my car and feeling just this moment of panic, like... I don't know if I can do this. It was in that moment that it became extremely real. We now had a child, and I knew it was coming for months, and we had planned for it, but in that moment, it just became real in a whole new way. I realized it in a whole new way. Um, As we began this church, as we set out on this journey, I remember the passion in sensing God's calling in the journey. I remember a whole new level of realness when we stepped away from a paycheck and said, all right, here we go. Like it became real in a whole new way when, when, when those things started to come in question. And you can probably think of times in, in your life where you knew things were coming and you'd been preparing for it for some time. But in that moment, it became really real. It, it, it took on a whole new meaning and depth. Well, today we are in that place. As a church, we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been exploring uh, just a story of Jesus as told by a man named Luke. He was a physician. Um, He says at the beginning of this Gospel, the the Gospel of Luke, he says, "Um, I've carefully studied all the accounts and testimonies and and chosen to draw up this description of this man Jesus. And so we've been reading through his description of this man Jesus that lived a couple thousand years ago, and it's been fascinating to see his power 
It's been fascinating to see the way God was working powerfully through him, the way he was working powerfully. It's been fascinating to, to learn so much about Jesus. And you remember uh, a couple months ago as we came to this passage where um, finally Jesus says to his followers that have seen all these powerful and amazing things, so who do people say I am? And they covered their bases with John the Baptist and a prophet and a rabbi. And, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And in this moment, his, his closest followers, they said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, for some time people were beginning to realize who Jesus was, beginning to realize that he is more than just a prophet, he's more than just um, a man who performs miracles, but there's something very special and very unique about this man. And so now a few weeks ago, we read as Jesus entered Jerusalem. Uh, this is the final week of Jesus' life. Sometimes it's called the Passion Week. And this is the final week of Jesus' life in which he is here in Jerusalem knowing that the cross awaits, knowing that he will not leave the setting, but instead that the cross is imminent and, uh, and, and that he will soon be crucified. And so last week we shared in communion, if you were here, we set up tables with bread down the middle, and we set up differently as we as we celebrated uh, communion together, as we remembered the story of Jesus taking the Passover and saying, from now on, as you break this bread, remember my body. Because his, his followers didn't get it yet. They didn't understand what was to come, and so he gave them something simple, the bread and the juice, and he says, use this and remember me. And they did. And thousands of years later, we still break bread and, and take the juice, and we remember Jesus and his sacrifice. And so, uh, Immediately after that, that last supper, uh, Jesus heads out to uh, the Mount of Olives where he is going to pray um, for this final time before he'll soon be arrested. So today we're going to look in Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 39 through 46 is where we'll be. And this is a story as, as Jesus heads out from that last supper, the last time he'll sit and eat a meal with his followers, uh, heads out to the garden uh, for a moment of prayer. Let's read Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching, the place, he sa- uh, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel f- from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them sleeping, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. So Jesus immediately after this meal with his followers uh, he heads up to the Mount of Olives. It's interesting that it says, as usual, he headed up to the Mount of Olives. And um, uh, so the Mount of Olives was this hill uh, just outside of Jerusalem. So you see here a modern-day picture, obviously, of Jerusalem. Um, uh, the hillside covered in olive trees. It's about a mile wide. But from this hill, uh, you could look back over Jerusalem. And, and we read of Jesus praying over the city, right? Praying over Jerusalem as he entered it. And so today, Jesus is headed up onto this mountain to find some solitude. You remember, it says as usual, Jesus, uh, we, we read earlier in Luke, he would often withdraw 
out to lonely places to pray. And so while Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, may not have been his normal place, he would, he would always find a mountain or a place away that he could spend time alone in prayer. He looks back over the temple, and you see uh, the temple structure there in the center. Um, in, in his day, it was about twice as tall as that. And so this, uh, you know, it was destroyed in about 70 AD, but... Um, uh, but but here we see the modern day temple where previously it would have stand, stood twice as tall as Jesus sat on this mountain. So Jesus heads out to this mountain uh, for some time alone and to pray. He gives the simple instructions to his his disciples before he heads on to where he'll pray. Um, go ahead and roll forward there. Yeah. So he he um, uh, he gives a simple instruction: uh, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And you wonder. Well, what is this temptation that he's talking about? Is it something specific to the situation, or is it in general? Um, Jesus, Jesus knows the events to come, and and we and many of us remember the events to come. That once he's arrested here in a few moments, uh, all of his followers will disperse. Uh, they will all lose hope. Uh, they will all feel like the end has come. Peter will go so far as to deny Jesus three times to say, I, I don't know that man. Jesus knows the challenges and the temptations and the struggles that are to come. And notice, I, th- I think it is an interesting little distinction. He doesn't say, pray that you won't be tempted. Temptation is imminent. He knows what's coming. I think we could say the same of our lives. We know that temptation comes. And so Jesus says to them in this moment, uh, pray that you'll not fall into temptation. The, te- the temptation in their case to, to doubt who he is, uh, to lose sight of the vision, to lose hope in this moment. And so Jesus begins to pray then. He goes a little bit beyond them. And he kneels down and he begins to pray. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. If you were here a few months ago as we looked at um, kind of the Sermon on the Mount and, and the Lord's prayers, Jesus taught his followers to pray. He told them something like this, and I think it's interesting the way it's going to parallel the prayer he prays here. He's, he said, uh, as he taught them to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Um, at lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, forgive us as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Um, uh, and yours be the glory and power forever. Amen. So Jesus says that prayer as like a teaching what it could, what it would be like to pray, what it is to pray to God. And I think it's fascinating the way in which this parallels that. He says, Father in heaven. So again, he acknowledges God as holy and high and recognizes his position in this moment in prayer. In fact, uh, sometimes the word used here is, uh, is Abba in, in the Greek. And, and that, the word Abba is like daddy or, or da, you know, like a child would say, right? So he doesn't address God, you know, he addresses God with reverence. He recognizes God as his father. And then, um, he says, uh, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And if you're like me, you're wondering, well, what exactly is that cup? What, what, what exactly does that mean? Um, so it's a figure of speech. Uh, there's a couple ways the idea of a cup of wrath or, or, or a cup would be used in Old Testament scriptures and just culturally in the day. You, you might remember that kings often died when their cup was poisoned, right? So they would have um, a cup bearer, someone that would taste their drink before them because uh, they would drink 
their death, you know, sometimes. Uh, there's, there's passages in the Old Testament that talks about this cup of wrath being poured out on, um, on, on sinful uh, behavior, on, on sinfulness. And, and so Jesus is alluding then to this cup, uh, this, this uh, suffering, this time of punishment. And he says, um, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And this again, like Jesus prayed in the prayer demonstrating to his followers, he says, um, he says, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's fascinating to me that even in the most dire of circumstances, as Jesus kneels on this mountain knowing what is to come, that you see this continued simplicity in prayer, this continued willingness to submit to God, even when the stakes are as high as they can possibly be. You know, and, and you think of it in contrast, we think of it in contrast to the Pharisees and Sadducees that Jesus says, they'll go on the street corners, the religious rulers of the day, they'll stand on the street corners with their arms in the air and they'll pray in ways that bring all sorts of praise and glory to themselves. But Jesus contrasts it, alone in a garden, on his knees, acknowledging God as holy, making his simple requests and yet realizing that God's will will be done, and praying even that God's will will be done in the situation. And in verse 43, an angel came to strengthen him, but it's interesting that immediately after that, in 44, he was in such anguish that he prayed even more earnestly and sweat like drops of blood falling from the ground. Now, there is a, um, a medical condition in which under such stress, um, uh, blood can actually seep from the pores of a person's body. It's extremely rare, but it does exist. It's possible they're describing something like that, or it's possible kind of in the, in, in the language that Luke uses. It sounds maybe just a little bit more like it was huge drops of sweat, you know, like blood dripping from his body, like it's an illustration. But either way, we see in this moment something in Jesus that we don't often or, or don't always see. I don't know how you perceive Jesus as you read their stories, especially if you've known the stories of Jesus for a lot of your lives. Um, sometimes it's as though the out, we read these stories as though the outcome is predetermined. Um, I, as, as a kid, we didn't grow up watching a ton of TV, um, but no matter how much TV you watch, you uh, growing up know about a character named Superman. So I knew about Superman as a kid. And what's fascinating about Superman is he has this one little weakness called kryptonite, kind of a strange, quirky little weakness. I don't know how the authors came up with that, but he has that one weakness. But other than that weakness, uh, as, as Superman enters a battle, you know the outcome of that battle, right? He's always going to win. Bullets bounce off of him. He can lift buildings with single fingers. He can fly. You always know the outcome of a story about Superman. But in this story, uh, we see Jesus not like the character of Superman, but instead like the character of a humble, uh, fearful human being. We see the humanity in Jesus in ways that often go unnoticed as we read stories about Jesus. We see him praying earnestly, Father, will you take this cup from me? I do not want to experience this suffering. And I think it's valid to ask, so what is this suffering that Jesus is so fearful of? Now, the natural answer would be the, the cross. And yes, there's a lot to be feared on the cross. But the Romans, in years to come, will crucify thousands of followers of Jesus, some of which will die uh, on a cross or, or burned alive, and, and they'll be singing hymns while they die. 
So, so why in this moment, we, I don't know if anyone else asks ask questions like this, why in this moment is Jesus in such sorrow, experiencing such fear and turmoil? Yes, there is a crucifixion, and he's fearful of that. But I think the Christian witness and the story as we read on um, through uh, the New Testament stories is, is this, that Jesus has an entirely different fear in, in addition to that one. You see, the story that plays out through the Old Testament is that of sacrifice, a system in which uh, an animal would be sacrificed and righteousness, purity, would be brought through that sacrifice. And so um, Jesus is spoken of in those terms as the lamb that was sacrificed for us. If you were here as we talked a little bit about Passover and all that, you, that, that might be familiar to you. Um, there, was a, there was another practice in, in Israelites' time called uh, a scapegoat. And in the ceremony, all of all the sins of the nation would be put on to this animal, and that animal then sent out into isolation, uh, into the desert, uh, and and it was cast out from the people. And again, in this ceremony, uh, the sins then were cast away from people. And so, as we read this sorrow and fear of Jesus, Christian belief uh, comes to this conclusion and this realization that Jesus was going to take on his shoulders the weight of the sin of the world. That he would be that lamb that was slaughtered, that he would be that scapegoat in in which the sin of the world would be taken and forgiven and and the world redeemed. And I want to imagine just for a moment, uh, now, now I realize this is big picture conceptual stuff and many of us here are in different places in our faith journey. But let's just explore for a minute. Um, were, were that the, the full story of, of what is happening in this moment? The, the biblical narrative is that Jesus was in the beginning for all eternity and with God, and that through him all the world was created. And, and, and if this is playing out in the way the Bible describes, then in this moment Jesus is realizing that for the first time in eternity, he would be separated from his heavenly father. That the fear and the anguish in this moment, yeah, has to do with crucifixion, but has so much to do with the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders and a separation from his heavenly father that he has known an intimate relationship for eternity. And so Jesus here, in this moment, we see him broken down, has sweat like drops of blood falling from his body, praying earnestly with God, take this cup from me. And yet this beautiful and humble posture to be able to say, and yet, Father, your will be done and not mine. We, we begin to ask ourselves this morning, so what do, we, what do we take from a story like this? You know, always as we read the stories of Jesus, it's fair to look at the character of Jesus and ask, so how does it apply in my life? And in the character of Jesus this morning, as we look at him in the garden, prayerful, fearful, um, I see uh, in the character of Jesus a desire to go to God with our biggest concerns. Now, this may be a natural inclination for some. Think back to before you were a follower of Jesus, or, or maybe just recently, a time in life in which things got so stressful and painful that all you knew to do to fall to your knees and to pray. 
I mean, there's thousands of stories over history of people that did not know God and did not know Jesus, but there came a moment so broken in their lives that they broke down and said, God, if you will deliver me, right? Uh, this, this moment in life where we are so fearful and so broken that we have nowhere to go. But ironically, sometimes in our lives, especially as followers of Jesus, um, when we get to these dire circumstances, the last thing we think to do is to get to our knees and to pray. It's ironic that that um, many that didn't know Jesus would come to that moment, but so often in my life, when the stress is overwhelming and I'm awake in the middle of the night again, that I forget about this posture of Jesus, of, of prayer on our knees, speaking with our Heavenly Father. And as he speaks, he speaks honestly and transparency about fear and about need, and yet even in the midst of his honesty and transparency, an ability to say, yet Father, your will be done. And so I'll challenge us with this one last thought as we begin to close out today. And it's a, it's a thought that came up as, as Chris and Lindy led us in worship this morning. How in the world do I, not entirely sure of God, uh, choose a, a, a position and a posture of prayer and submission? Let's be honest. Culturally, submitting is not a pretty word. Uh, it's not something that we like to do in our lives. We fight hard against uh, taking that posture. And so the question becomes, how in the world in my life do I begin to take a posture of, of trust and submission? And I'll present this one super simple thought that is a starting point to choosing a posture of submission to God. I think the first thing we would need to do is come to a realization that God is good. I can't submit to a God that I don't believe to be good, that I don't know to be good. And this isn't just like the, we could say to each other, oh yeah, God's good. No, this is that moment when it becomes real. Remember sitting in the car, uh, driving home, and, and a child in the back, and you say, this is real. That moment when we say, I trust, I believe that God is good. So God, I call out to you, desperate in my circumstances, but I trust that you are good. So in this circumstance, your will be done. Now that's not easy. But I pray that each of us can come to know a little bit more of the goodness of God, and in the goodness of God, come to find a posture in which we can say, Father, help me, because I am hurting but I trust in you. But Father, your will be done because you see a bigger picture. We know the outcome in this story of, of, of Jesus praying in the garden, that he will go to the cross, that he will experience that suffering and that separation. But we also know the goodness of God told in the story of a resurrection. And over the next few weeks, these are the stories that we'll be exploring as a church. You see, Jesus knew in this moment that his deepest desire was to take the suffering from him, but he knew that God was good. And as the story played out, God was very good. God was very good on a global perspective in the way it played out. So I invite us this morning to consider, as we look at the story of Jesus, alone, fearful, and praying in the garden, in all his humanity, desperate and broken, I invite us this morning um, to realize a good God, 
to realize a God whom we can go to in honest and transparent prayer, in a posture of submission, and begin to trust a little bit more that God is good and God is bringing about good things. Let's pray over that as we close out today. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for a few moments in which we can uh, explore your word, explore the story of Jesus, um, a man who lived humbly uh, a couple thousand years ago. And Father, we thank you um, for an opportunity this morning to see uh, his, uh, his posture of submission and trust in you. And Father, I pray that you will give each of us a little bit more of that. And Father, some of us come here um, having for years followed you, but so often losing sight of the opportunity to come before you in prayer, trusting in your goodness. Some of us here, Father, come um, uh, having never prayed to you maybe in our lives. But Father, I pray that you will um, uh, give us hearts to see or eyes to see um, and hearts to know your goodness and in that to begin to find um, the, the kind of trust that invites us into relationship, the kind of trust that invites us into conversation, into submission, and to know your goodness. Father God, go with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us this morning. Excited for things to come. Be sure to check out on the website the events coming up. Uh, Excited for uh, a number of service projects and things happening. As your week unfolds, know God's goodness.